You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. U.S. midterm elections end tomorrow evening with officials on high alert for election hacking. Russia sends a poll watcher to the U.S. to make sure democratic norms are observed. Side channel attack proof of concepts been announced for CPUs, but the risk seems relatively low. Botnets are fighting over Android devices for crypto jacking power. And Russia's GU or GRU looks like it's going to get its R back. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, November 5th, 2018. U.S. midterm elections will be held tomorrow. With early voting having been in progress for some weeks, it may be more accurate to say that they will end tomorrow, with polls closing around 8 o'clock p.m. local time. There's been much concern about election security, but at the 11th hour, most of that concern has shifted from fear of direct manipulation of voting or disruption of polling, toward worries about voter suppression efforts or other last-minute influence operations. A flurry of reports suggest efforts to penetrate election-related databases, but most of these have been in the context of state officials announcing their successful defense against such penetration. And it's not clear that this isn't largely a matter of the officials attending to the regular background of attempts to steal personal data. The main adversary, of course, is Russia, and state and federal officials in general say they're seeing lower levels of activity than they did in 2016. The Department of Homeland Security is getting nice marks on its election security work from a normally tough senatorial audience. Senator Warner, Democrat from Virginia and ranking member of the Senate Intelligence Committee, told Face the Nation this week that, quote, I think we've made great progress, particularly at the individual polling stations and with the tabulations of votes. So I think people should vote with confidence, end quote. He credits the Department of Homeland Security with a sound effort to coordinate cyber defenses with state and local election authorities. The other aspect of election defense, of course, is deterrence. U.S. Cyber Command, with unusual blood in its eye, is apparently ready to hit back hard at Russia if anything develops. How it might do so is left unspecified, beyond administration suggestions that it will be retaliation short of war, but that, of course, leaves a lot of room for retaliation. We hope you don't have to do anything, Cybercom. But if you do, well, from all of us, good hunting. The media and government chatter around the elections is interesting. The Washington Post, for example, quotes Homeland Security's Christopher Krebs as saying that the midterms are just the warm-up or the exhibition game. It's like the undercard for the main event, which he thinks will be the 2020 election cycle. In the general chatter, those who wish to expect the worst are watching for distributed denial-of-service attacks or, 
If they're really expecting the worst, perhaps local power grid hacks. Both could indeed disrupt polling, but it's worth noting that concerns about DDoS or grid hacking tomorrow are mostly founded on a priori possibility. One sidelight, there will be Russian election observers in the U.S., so they can report back to the international community on whether the Americans are holding free and open elections. Members of the Russian Duma are in the country to report back to the Parliamentary Assembly of the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, because who's better equipped, after all, to recognize whether voting lives up to international democratic norms than the officials of the United Russian Party, or the Communist Party of Russia, both which are represented in the delegation. It's a nice gesture, as if Mr. Putin were President Wilson out to teach his sister republics to elect good men. If you run across any Russian poll watchers tomorrow, give them a hearty Dobre Utro, good morning, and say welcome to America. Adding Nasha Luce, ours is better, would be cheeky, so try to restrain yourself. A team of academic researchers at Finland's Tampere University of Technology and the Technical University of Havana have reported a side-channel vulnerability, port smash, in Intel CPUs that employ a simultaneous multi-threading architecture. It doesn't appear that the risk is high. The register reports that Intel doesn't think it's worth patching, but does note that it's unrelated to Meltdown or Spectre, which were related to speculative execution. They think it's not unique to Intel chips, and AMD is looking into whether its own devices might be affected, and they think it's not so much a vulnerability as it is an expected-by-design property. So, according to Intel, the researchers' proof-of-concept exploit could be avoided by following sound side-channel safe development practices. Kevin Bocek, chief cybersecurity officer at Venify, commented to us that processor vulnerabilities like Port Smash are a good reason to think harder about managing machine identities. He thinks it wise to rotate the keys and certificates that identify machines. He sees it as a hygienic measure, like changing passwords from time to time. He said, quote, The reality is that most keys and certificates aren't changed often, and a surprising number are never changed. These are the machine identities that are most at risk from port smash. End quote. There's competition out there in botland. Cyware warns that two botnets, FBot and Trinity, are competing to rope in Android devices. FBot is a Satori variant. Trinity is a version of ABD Miner. The goal of both botnets is cryptojacking, still a popular criminal ploy. Finally, back on September 7th, we said, on the advice of our Foreign Intelligence Service desk, that we didn't buy Russia's rebranding of the GRU as the GU, since that involved taking the intelligence out of intelligence service. And our staff ventured to state that they were confident President Putin himself probably called the military intelligence service GRU, at least privately, and among friends and family. So what do we see over the weekend? Late Friday, Bloomberg reported that Mr. Putin called for the restoration of the missing R during a celebration of the GRU's 100th birthday. So, there you go. G-R-U. Because there just ain't no disputing that old Vlad Putin. And we told you so. If you cross paths with our Foreign Intelligence Service desk, by the way, please don't congratulate them. They tend to get above themselves when they've called a shot. Don't encourage them. 
they can be pretty insufferable. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Rick Howard. He is the Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks, and he also leads Unit 42. That's their Threat Intel team. Rick, it's great to have you back. Um, You know, you and I have talked about DevOps and DevSecOps before, uh, but today we want to touch on DevOps and the future of orchestration. What do you got for us? Well, yeah, we have talked about this in the past day, but for some of your listeners who are not familiar, I always recommend two books from the Cybersecurity Canon Project to get you started. And the first one is The Phoenix Project by Gene Kim, Kevin Baer, and George Spafford. It's a novel that is easy to read and will ease you into the philosophy of DevOps. So I recommend that one highly. And the second book is called Site Reliability Engineering from the Google team, uh, Betsy Beyer, Chris Jones, Jennifer Petoff, and Niall uh, Richard Murphy. Now, this is a technical how-to manual from the Google team that explains how they implemented DevOps and site reliability engineering some six years before we even had a name for DevOps. Hmm. Okay. So that said, I was talking with my CIO, Naveen Zucci, a couple of weeks ago about how Palo Alto Networks is pursuing the DevOps philosophy internally, and I had an epiphany, and I love when I get those things. (laughs) So for security professionals, There are two distinct and parallel efforts going on in the community around the DevOps idea. Now, the first is the traditional DevOps movement of automating not just the applications that the organization uses to run the business, but also automating the infrastructure. 
everything from quality control to regression testing to deployment to health monitoring while in production and to automatically automatically fixing ailing applications all in real time. That is the traditional DevOps mandate. For cybersecurity professionals, DevSecOps is the process of automating and deployment, uh, monitoring and maintenance, all the security tools that your organization deploys down the intrusion kill chain in the five big islands of data that we all have. And they are behind the perimeter, in the data center, on our mobile devices, in our SaaS applications, and in our IAS services. Okay, We have known about this first effort, this first traditional DevOps movement, uh, for a number of years now. And it is why the movement to the cloud is so tantalizingly attractive. If we do this right, we can get out of our way in relation to all those old and inefficient legacy processes and procedures we currently have in place. The movement to the cloud is our get-out-of-jail-free card, and we're using DevOps to get it done. Mm -hmm. But the second parallel effort is where my epiphany came out. Okay, We are not only automating the traditional DevOps and DevSecOps stuff. We are also automating the manual procedures that we have all been using in the SOC for the past decade. Out of all the innovation that has come out of the cybersecurity industry in the last decade, the idea that we need butts and seats watching alerts on a screen has remained stubbornly entrenched. Uh, That is beginning to change. Most of the network defenders that I talk to have some project on the board where the goal is to eliminate all of the traditional SOC Tier 1 and Tier 2 tasks through automation so they can use their people to track down the Tier 3 Maharas on Fire incident response tasks. Hmm. So we are making progress. With that in mind, I have two recommendations. Okay, first, if you are just beginning your career in the cybersecurity field or you are somewhere in the middle, you might take on a personal improvement project to learn how to code. When I started in the industry back when, you know, General Washington was just taking command of the Continental <laughs> Army, okay, coding was not a required skill. It was not necessary, but I predict in 10 years, network defenders will be coders first and security professionals second. You can make yourself invaluable right now today if you know how to code. So that's the first recommendation. Mm -hmm. Second is while you're taking this journey to the cloud and learning how to be a DevSecOps practitioner, make it easy on yourself. Use the same security tools down the intrusion kill chain on each of the big five data islands. With DevSecOps, you are writing code that will communicate to your deployed vendors' APIs. Your journey will be a lot shorter if you standardize on the same set of APIs on each data island as opposed to a different set of APIs for each. That way lies madness. There be dragons down that path. All right. So that's my recommendation. All right. So just, I mean, keeping it simple, uh, taking out some of the complexity there. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.